Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many, all that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Father, once again, we thank you for the opportunity to have scripture that you have breathed out, that you've given to us, so that we may not be ignorant of what matters most in this life, namely who you are, what you've done for us, how you want us to live under your reign. I thank you for the journey that you've given us in Ecclesiastes. I thank you that it's far more relevant, perhaps, than some of us anticipated as we began this study. Father, you, you've not given this word to depress us. You've given this word to promote diligence in us. That we would be mindful there is a day coming when we will no longer be able to do the things we hope we can do for you. So we better do them now. We better be about our Father's business. While there is light, let us be working, as Jesus has said. And so, Father, I pray that you would grant gospel dreams for these families that... They have gospel goals for their families. That before the children are all out of the house, here's what we want to do for the sake of the gospel, if you grant this, Father. For these students, before they, they graduate from high school, they will dream gospel goals, ways that you may use them. Father, if there are ways that we've been procrastinating or putting off, doing things that we know you've called us to do specifically, would you grant gospel urgency in our lives? we would be about it, that we would no longer delay, but that we would be diligent. So Father, I thank you for this word. We need to be reminded of the brevity of life. 
as we consider often we gather here this Sunday but we are one week closer to either this text being true in our life our, our body returning to dust and our own death or we are one week closer to Christ's return either way time for making disciples is winding down so Father use this text help us to remember you in our youth remember you while we have the strength and the desire and the ability and opportunity to do the things that we know we ought to be doing help us to risk much for the gospel help us to give generously to others help us to be the most joyful people in our classes this year because we are rejoicing in you. Help us to be the most joyful people at our workplace. Forgive us, God, if we're the, we're the pessimists, we're the Eeyores at our workplace. Oh, God, we should be so full of joy. And it's, it's not an option. It's actually about obedience. It's a command to rejoice in you. I'm sorry, God, that Many of us have been discipled in knowing what your word says and doing it, but, but very few of us have been discipled in what it means to delight in you. Sorry that enjoying you seems so foreign to those of us who strive to diligently do what you say. That reconciliation is for the purpose of relationship. You didn't just send your son who's whose body and blood is represented by the bread and, and juice here on either side of this stage this morning. You didn't just send him to, to just pay the legal debt. You did it to bring us to yourself. So God, we should be the most joyful people in our city. Would you help us to remove the things that vex us that we'll see here in this text? Would you help us to remove sin that kills joy in our lives? If we've come this week again with the same sin we were struggling with last week, Father, grant obedience in our life. Use this text. We don't need to be informed. We desperately need to be transformed this morning. So, Father, use this word in our lives. May your word go forth across our city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is... Uh, you know, when you're a senior, you get all kinds of opportunities. This is a, a mug. This is actually what I keep my spare change in in my closet. I had to dump it out uh, this morning. Uh, this is from the class of 95, to which Wayne Watson wrote a song for us. Those of you who don't know who Wayne Watson is, you're missing, missing out. And he wrote a song, to the class of 95, right? It was, uh, that's all I remember of that song, but... It was for it. He had a son that graduated the same year I did. If you want to know what a wampus cat is, you can take a picture after the service. You can be able to look at the mighty wampus cats from Leesville. Uh, students, I graduated with 212 people. And on the back of this mug, their first, the, the, the initial of their first name is here and then their last name. And the incredible thing about this list is I look at them and there are people like, I have no idea who that is. I can even recognize last names, but I can't remember what's after that first initial. I can't remember their first name. Of the 212 of these in my graduating class, there are two that I still remain in contact with. And October 12th and May 12th, I call them on their birthdays. My friend Michael Stratton and my friend Kevin Steiner, uh, 
I, I will call and, and each checks in. When December 28th rolls around, they call me. And, and then beyond that, there honestly aren't many days that we call each other outside of that context. We always remember the birthdays and we'll check in. Uh, and in that process, uh, there's been a lot of pain since graduation, 20 years since, you know, since graduation. And there are names. Uh, there's one guy I know that was shot by another man um, uh, on this list. There, there are others who, uh, who had a wreck here. I look at uh, B. Bullock. He, he had a wreck turning around in the road and, and was killed not far from my, uh, our house in, in my hometown. So there are names on here. It's not that I don't talk to them. I can never talk to them again. They're gone. They've, they've perished. And so what I want to, to urge you is what this text is urging you. This year, you're going to have opportunities to have some conversations with people that you may never have opportunities to have conversations again. When you go through high school and, and once you graduate, there will be people that you never see again after you have on that cap and gown. That's it. It's the last time you hear their name. The last time you know anything about them. And so your time, if you're a freshman, your time is not winding up. It's winding down. There, You have a minimal days that you can live for the glory of God to impact those that are around you. And so to our students and to our teachers and coaches and administrators and even to our parents, you heard me in my prayer. But what I want to ask you is, what is one gospel goal you have for this school year? And if you don't have one, man, go home and pray this afternoon. Pray this week. Pray in the next little short time period before school starts for many of you in the next day or so. God, what, what's a good gospel goal I could have this year? Is there perhaps a person you've been wanting to share with and, and have not? Is there something you wanted to start at your school for the purpose of Christ but have been hesitant to? And so... What would you like to see God do in and through you for the sake of the gospel this year? I say in because it's important that you're growing in Jesus and then through that you would be, as we sang at the beginning, the very first song of the service, shining that light through us. So what would you like to see God do in and through you for the sake of the gospel this year? And then for those of you who are seniors, but also those of you who are not seniors, what would you like to see God do in your school, in your relationships, even, even our home school? You, you have cohorts. You have networks that you're with. What would you like to see God do in those before you graduate? Where would you like to see him move? Or parents, before your child graduates, before you're no longer sitting next to those other parents at those sports games or events or orchestra presentations, that group of parents, you're not going to be with them after your, your child graduates as often. What do you need to maximize this year as you're, as you're with them, as you're giving an opportunity? Or to our teachers and coaches, what conversations do you need to have before some of these seniors never come on your campus again? What, what do you need to, to do in their lives and say to them and shepherd them? Or, or to our administrators, before those teachers leave and go to another school because it happens every year. Rare is a school that will have all of the exact same teachers from year to year. That just rarely happens. So you have one year together to, to pour in the shepherd. So what, what's a goal that you have? And, and I guess I just said, are we dreaming? Are we even dreaming gospel goals? Are we begging God to use us? Students, do you see school as just an obligation or an opportunity? You're like, well... If I don't, they, they don't know what a true an officer is, but he might get me, you know. 
That was what they always used to scare me to death. Never knew what a truancy officer was. But uh, on the flip side, I will say, to the kids who get the perfect attendance awards, I'm always like, their parents just don't like them. So every once in a while, it's good to just live life, everybody. That's what the text is going to say. So school is not just an obligation of I got to go here. It's what I'm supposed to do at this age. It is an opportunity. And so don't let a day occur this year where you fail to go to school on mission to serve the Lord and not just merely to survive the day of classes. That we want to go to serve, not just survive, right? That we want to be on mission for, for ways. One of the greatest prayers you can pray on the way to school is, God, help us recognize opportunities we could be used by you today. Help me to recognize, because otherwise I'm just going to try to be like, what is the combination on this lock? Why is this lock not working? I can tell you, man, getting ready for junior high football practice, and inevitably my lock, the combo wouldn't work, and our junior high football coach was a tyrant, and he didn't tolerate lateness, and sheer panic when it wouldn't come, you know, you're like, Jesus, please take the lock, you know, and, and sheer panic for it occurring. It's hard to think about how could I be used for Jesus at practice when we're just thinking about surviving rather than serving. We don't just go to school to get scholarships and develop our resume for college, but to make disciples for our Redeemer. That's most important. Your Redeemer is more important than whether you're president of Beta Club. Listen, if you don't become student body president because you stood up for Jesus, Jesus is okay with that. If you're not voted captain of the team because you stand for Jesus and you're not homecoming queen because you've taken some stands for Jesus, Jesus is okay with that. And he'll handle the college application process. The one who is sovereign, we can trust with our obedience. So adults, I would ask you the same things. Some of you, how many of you are grateful you're not going back to ninth grade this year? Right? Man. I loved high school and I loved college. They were great seasons. I love not going back to them, you know. I'm barely surviving reliving them with, with, with my own children. I wonder then, for those of us who aren't getting ready to go back to school, what gospel dreams are you dreaming for your own lives as well as adults? What would you like to see God do in and through you for the sake of the gospel before your life is over? And are we so busy making a living that we're not really living or living missionally? We're just trying to get the bills paid, man. That's what I do. I can't think about this trip over here. I can't think about this conversation. I can't think about these people that I don't even know their names anymore. I, I got to pay the bills, man. I got to work. I loved what uh, Riken, I think, had a, a phrase in it, but does our to-do list, especially thinking through, does our to-do list of groceries trump our bucket list for the gospel? It can be so bogged down with just the daily to-do items that whatever it is we, we maybe at a youth camp years and years ago said, man, I want to do this for Jesus one day. Maybe it's been 20 years since you said that. One, rejoice that you're still alive. Still have opportunity. But don't presume upon the next 20. If you do not have any gospel goals for your family or yourself, the question I would ask you this one is, why don't you? I would follow that. If you've not been pursuing gospel goals you do have for your family, why haven't you? If you've been putting off the things you want to do for the sake of the gospel before you die, why are you assuming you will have this afternoon? Why are you assuming you will have tomorrow? 
I really like the author of Ecclesiastes because he's a realist. Some would say a pessimist. I mean, as she was reading the text, it's real depressing, isn't it? It seems to be depressing. It's like, you're all going to die and turn to dust. Mitch, come lead us in a song now, you know? We were, we were I'm going to admit, we were slightly worried that preaching through Ecclesiastes would cause all of us to just wear burlap and ashes and just... We would be the most depressed people in town after reading this, you know. Uh, but I love him because he's a realist. I, he's a realist because he admits what he doesn't know, and he, he acknowledges what he does, and being able to tell the difference, and, and he's wrestling it out, you know. That's why I, I, I told the Browns. You know why I love Lamentations is in the Bible? Because it teaches us how to wrestle out the grieving and difficult things with God, not away from him. It's why we need to preach the whole council. It's why I teach students how to preach through the genres. Because if we're not giving our people lamentations because we're scared how to handle it, we're not giving our people Ecclesiastes because we're scared how to handle it, we're robbing them of what God wants to use to equip them in some of the most difficult seasons. So I love him. And in particular, he doesn't avoid the reality that should we all live long enough, decline, death, and dust is what we have to, is coming, Right? It's coming for all of us. So his point here then is maximize the life you can live for the kingdom of God. Maximize this life. Seize it. Grab it. Don't waste a moment of it. So he's, he's again, not meant to fuel depression, but diligence. Not meant to fuel, just, uh, fuel chaos, but courage of moving forward. I put a passage in a sense there from you from Douglas O'Donnell. I really liked how he said it and it's never a bad thing to use what others do. Students, take notice. Give credit when you use others. That's an that's important pro tip for you as you write papers this fall. If someone else has said it, write their name. Make sure you give credit. And here's, here's what he says is a good summary of this text. While you are still young, fear God and serve others. Now, some of you might, might already be saying, well, I, well what's young? Let me, let me help you know this. If you're not lying in a coffin somewhere, you're still young. If, if, there, if there's not something that's just, if you're, if you're not in that, that bed and that we're, if you're not in hospice, okay, you're still young. This text is for all of you, okay? This is, this is for all, not just the 14-year-olds in the room, right? Because, what is it? Strength is wasted on the, what, you, know, you know these phrases. It's not just for the 14-year-olds. I'm going to tune this out, man. While you are still young, which is all of us who aren't in the grave or hospice, and it's not to say that even in hospice we can live for God's glory, but we're not going to be able to go some of the places we may have wanted to go. So while you can still go and do the things that, that God would want you to do, this is for you. So fear God and serve others. And then the bullet points underneath there. Before the impending evil days of old age and death strike you like a cosmic thunderstorm. See, this man's Matt Lobhan. He's warning you. That's what I love about it. Just see Solomon as Matt Lobhan. This man is telling you, there is a storm coming. And he uses it. Look at verse 2 before, in chapter 12. Verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. I'd love to see Matt Lobhan give that report. Hey, guys, there's some, there's some bad stuff coming on the radar. I was looking over Kansas, and it's not pretty. <laughs> You better make preparations today. Do not wait till it gets here. It's what he's doing, right? So before the impending evil days of old age and death strike you like a cosmic thunderstorm, work hard in order to give generously to others and enjoy life in light of your creator and judge. 
So students, let me help you. The, the, the title of the sermon, and for all of us, don't waste your youth. And so here's how not to waste this year or any year of your life. While you are young, we need to do these, these five truths. We need to, one, realize that decline, death, and dust is coming for all of our bodies. All right? We, we got to realize that. So let's start in, in verse 2 again. Well, let, let's just do 12.1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. It means there's no end to the storm. So after the clouds are gone, it's still just rain. And the clouds are like, oh, that storm's done. Oh, here's another storm. All right. So it says, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they're few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of a song are brought low. They're afraid also of what's high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. How many of you adults have found there are things that you used to could do that you can't do as easily anymore? All right. Um, I, for me, that's putting on shoes. All right. Uh, <laughs> what, what how many of you found there are some things you used to could do that you can't do at all anymore? Anyone have you reached a stage where there are some things that you used to could do that you can't? Students, if you live long enough, this is what you have to look forward to. I remember I was panicked at one of our big homecoming celebrations, which is a big deal for the Wampus Cats. We, we do it upright. You know, every class will have a, have a float in the parade. There's a big golf tournament, big barbecue, big pep rally, big football game, all of these things. And one of the members of my own church was speaking for his class. And I was real nervous because he got up and said, you know, AIDS is a problem. And I thought, oh, man, where is this going? Because this was in the 90s. And I was panicked, you know. And he said, and it's a problem for all of us as we get older. You got Band-Aids, hearing aids, seeing aids. And, and he went on to list. And, and I remember laughing really hard about that. And it's good when you laugh about it when you're not living it. Amen? Right? When you go to one doctor and he says, well, that's good. But you've got these three other problems that you didn't realize. And so if we all live long enough, this is what's here. And, and again, he's not trying to, to depress us. He's trying to say, be diligent. Students, this year will never come again. This year isn't coming. It's not going to be repeated. You're not going to be able to relive it. And so here's what he said. Hey, get a perspective. And so to give perspective, he gives incredible pictures here. That's what he does. He's, he's Bob Ross. Secretly, I love watching Bob Ross on Netflix. I, don't, I can't tell you why. It's soothing, I guess. I love it because it's just... And he's creating things. I'm like, man, that's amazing. Yeah, put that tree right there, man. I'm happy too, you know? And so... I love watching Bob Ross. They're just soothing, and he paints these incredible pictures. I'm like, I didn't see that mountain coming, man. That is amazing. And then I just love all the colors, right? What Bob messes me up is he says, hey, we're going to run the colors across the screen. Now look up here while I'm looking. You know, I'm like, bro, I can't do both. I can't write down my colors and look at your little canvas that you got ready here. But I love red ochre or whatever, you know, I mean, yellow ochre. 
You know, I'm like, yeah, man, that was my favorite in the crayon box. Hey, bro, you got the yellow ochre? Right, and so I love the names that he does. He paints pictures, and so that's what Solomon's doing here. And here's what he says. I put it in your, your notes for you, that here's our decline. There's a storm that comes with old age, and it doesn't clear. It, it doesn't clear, right? Our once steady arms and hands will one day tremble. What you could hold steadily, well, one day you're not going to be able to. My grandmother, I can, re- I can still remember, Granny's hands would shake. There were times when her hands would just, just shake, just stand there. Uh, there, there. There is a trembling, is what he says in verse day, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Our once strong backs and legs become bent. That's what he means when he says that the strong men are, are bent over. Man, wh- however tall you are, enjoy it while you are that, right? Because you go up, and then there's a day you're going back down, right? So enjoy it. Our once useful teeth will become few in number, is what it says. When he says the grinders cease because they are few, the picture here is of teeth. We're going to all catch up with Arkansas, is what he's saying. That we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna meet them, you know? And they'll be like, finally. And so once useful teeth will become few in number. And you know it, you know, when you're like, I would eat on this side, but I had too many crowns over here. I just got to put it all over here. There's a picture of it. Our once clear eyes will become cloudy and dimmed. It's what it means when it says that those who look through the windows are dimmed at the end of verse 3. Our once sharp ears will fail us. It says in verse 4, when the sound of the grinding is low, and also sleep will escape us. One rises at the sound of a bird. Any of you found as you've gotten older, sleep has become more difficult, right? You know, I, 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 don't, I always thought there was like my grandmother, great aunt's job to help the sunrise because they were just, they were up. Can't rest, the startlingness there. This one is interesting where it says in the text in, in verse uh, four at the end of it, all the daughters of song are brought low just the idea there that our once expansive vocal cords that may have sung loudly will shrink and, and we're not going to be able to praise in the way that we, we once could with that voice. We become afraid of falling and everything else. It says there in verse 5, they're afraid of what's high and the terrors in the way. That we become fearful of many things as we become older because it could just lead to more problems and complications. Our hair turns white. Uh, some of us are experiencing that that uh, talks about the almond tree and the blossoms. It means that our hair turns white. And then, I love the picture, the grasshopper drags itself along, right? And many, I can remember as a kid, one of the things I used to hunt was grasshoppers. You didn't have to buy a license at Walmart. And, uh, and I remember shooting them with my BB gun. But those things, I never saw a grasshopper that was dragging unless I involved myself with it. Uh, but uh, most of the time they're hopping, hopping, hopping everywhere, right? Here's the picture is, uh, how many have you found as you get older that sometimes just moving is difficult? And this picture that the grasshopper is just like, I'm going over here. It's a picture of the decline. And then our passions diminish and desire fails. That's across the board. You wake up, you're like, no, I don't feel like doing that today. What once was so important and what once you were so passionate about, you wake up and you're like, no, not today. And so his warning is, these are coming, right? We'll see this, this decline. And then that decline eventually leads to death. 
which is what he says, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, the wheel broken at the cistern. All these things are this ending. And so we die and others grieve. And what O'Donnell has said, what was once beautiful, precious, useful, and life-giving is destroyed. That's why those images stacked on top of each other of the silver cord, the golden bowl, the pitcher, the wheel, all of this being broken, it's no longer useful. There's no longer vitality in these things. And then, dust. Our decline yields to dust, which produces decay. Our, our decline yields to death, which produces decay and dust. In verse 7, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. So, vanity of vanities is what he says in verse 8. says the preacher, all is vanity, and he's saying it is fleeting, fleeting. It's a breath. It's a breath, all of it, and then it's gone. Well, it's some of us uh, already know, growing old is not for the faint of heart. Growing old is difficult. Growing old, there is certainly depression that becomes a part of the battle, that you can't do what you used to could do. Uh, and the people who you used to do them with aren't there anymore. There are a lot of things. If, you, if God grants life long enough, there is a lot of change that can be very difficult to face. And we are all growing older by the second. And the difficulties and even disabilities that come with aging will hit like a storm. And whatever you thought you would always be able to do, you may never have another opportunity to do again, especially gospel things. Especially something that you said, hey, we're going to do this. And so if you're not dead yet, though, there's still hope for you. I want you to notice in verse 1, he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. And then verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened. And then verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped. So he gives us perspective by using pictures, but he uses those pictures then to help us prepare and prioritize. So before this comes, before, 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 students, pro tip number two, if something is repeated over and over, pick up on it, right? There's something that's being emphasized. So we learn through repetition. And so he doesn't want us to miss it. Before this happens, before it's too late, before you cannot turn back this situation, maximize life. Remember your creator. Live life for him. So he's calling us to accept the reality that's coming, but he's calling us to action now. That's why he's doing it. Here's what's coming for all of us, which gets us to then, here's how you don't waste your life. You, you realize that decline and death and dust is coming. So what you want to do then is to risk much for the gospel and the good of others. Going back to chapter 11, verse 1, this is Solomon at his finest for us. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. I love when he writes so clearly, don't you? I'm so grateful that there are things that we don't have to pause and say, what does that mean, Solomon? But you've experienced this in life. I mean, I'm sure you do it all the time. When you go, like, you cast that bread out there, and then you come back a few days later and get it, right? No, who would ever do that junk, right? Who would ever? I have never thrown bread out at Bay Springs and been like, I'll be back in a few days for you, buddy, you know? And if it was there, I'm not eating that mess. You know what I'm saying? Ugh, nasty. And so you're like, well, thank you, Solomon, for this. And then give a portion to seven or eight. Yes, please do that. You want my soggy bread? Let me give you soggy bread, all right? And what is he saying here? He says, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. And then um, a man pulled a little Captain Obvious on us. 
if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. Yes. Then this one. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Yes. I got that one at Ichiban this week when I opened that cookie. That's right. I even asked Rook for verification. He didn't say anything about the east or west, so we're just going north and south at this point, but we're pretty sure it would be true either direction, right? So you're like, okay, Solomon. And then he gets some things that we, that we can understand fully. He observes the wind. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What do we know, and what do we do? And this is why I want to say a word just about Bible study. Whatever we have to pause and dig deeper into, the Word of God to understand is always worth it. Don't be those who say, well, I don't know what castor bread means and just move on. Pause. Dig in. Bible study is different than Bible reading. And Bible study is worth every moment you would spend in it to dig in and to see. What is it that we know and don't know? There's a lot of uh, wisdom in, in being able to say, I don't know. I've found great freedom in that as a pastor. When through the years people ask questions, I have found great freedom to be able to say, I don't know, and not feel the pressure. There's one who knows all things, and that's the Lord, right? But what is it that we can know from this text? And here's a couple things that he says that we don't know, because four times he repeats the phrase, once in verse 2, twice in verse 5, and once in verse 6, you know not, you do not know, you do not know, you do not know. Again, we want to pick up on the repetition so what he's telling us is there are some things that we don't know. And what are those? I put them in the outline there for you. First of all, you don't know what disasters may come with each new day. He says at the end of verse 2, give a portion to 7 or even to 8. For you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. I read this morning there was a 7.0 magnitude earthquake somewhere in our, in our world, right? That we don't know when hurricane whoever may come in the Gulf and what implication that's going to have. We also don't know when hurricane whatever is just going to come into our school, into our classroom, into our lives that are there. As we start this new school year, we do not and cannot know what storms loom on the horizon. You can know they loom. You can know they'll come because they do. That's the life that we have. But Solomon isn't calling us to try and figure out <laughs> what could come our way. He's calling us to live knowing difficulties can and do arrive. So he's not calling us to estimate when trouble might occur, but to live today in a certain way before it even does, right? So you, you don't know what's coming. Two, uh, verse six, he says this, in the morning so you're seeing the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. The bottom line is which path or action or decision will be most prosperous to take with every choice. Uh, I wish I knew, students, which classes would be most beneficial for you to take for the particular plans the Lord has for you. So I could help you with your schedule. We've been wrestling with that with Arabella and electives and, and what's the best course here. And, and the reality is we cannot know ultimately which one will be best for, for our children because we don't know how the Lord may plan that. I had no idea when I took those years of Spanish in high school about the six mission trips I would take to Mexico and how God would use Ampero Warner being from Bogota, Colombia, and all the Spanish she taught us, and how God would use that ultimately later on. And 
when I took Spanish, I was just taking Spanish because I had to, to graduate, right? No idea that he would use that. And so he says, look, what you don't know is if you take physics, it's going to be successful. You take calculus, mm-mm, not going to be successful, right? Mm-mm, find another one. Find a business class. Find, find keyboarding, you know, and find, find something, you know, find, hey, free time hour. You know, whatever it is that you, we can't, we can't do that. You can do all you can to arrange the best schedule, but in the end, God alone grants success. It's the same with our work. It's the same with our homes. Which is the best path? So let me encourage you what you should do. You should pray for wisdom. You should gather the facts. You should make a decision. You should trust that God works all things in every class for your good. And he'll work it out. We, we can't figure that out here. Which gets us to what he says in verse 5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. There is a mystery that science will never be able to parse for us. It's a mystery they won't be able to explain. He goes on to say, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And so, though many things might be uncertain to us, God is certain about all things. And therefore, we want to take courage and move forward in faith rather than fear. Not paralyzed by these things we don't know. We want to move forward because God does know. And there's no greater wisdom than in knowing what God is responsible for and what we're responsible for. It's one of the best lessons I've learned as a pastor. What is it that God does for his church and what is it he's asking me to do? And being very careful not to blur those lines. That, that we can set it up. So this year we will set it up so that we're going to study First Peter this fall. We will set it up so that you can, before you arrive, study First Peter with your family, with your friends. But I can't make you do it. I can't make you do it. We, we, uh, when, when I was in Baton Rouge, we set up so that our Sunday school classes were all studying the same Bible text. Because I didn't want parents to have to get in the car and ask their children, hey, what you, would you talk about in Sunday school? I wanted to give moms and dads opportunities to lead their children before. But you know what I found? I could set it up, and there were still people who didn't take opportunity for that. God alone does these things. And so what we have to figure out is, what are the things that God wants us to know now, and what are the things only he knows? And we can trust him with, with both. We've seen that over and over and over in Ecclesiastes. That even with the things that we don't know fully, he does. And we can trust him. So what is it we're called to do? There are uh, action words that we're called. So verse 1, we are called to cast our bread. Verse 2, to give a portion. And then verse 6, to sow your seed. And and again in verse 6, not to withhold our hand from something. There are these four actions that we we do know we're called to. So what does it mean to cast our bread? Does it mean literal bread on the water? Does it mean casting seed as the water was receding in the fields and, and a crop will come? It says, cast your bread on the water and after many days you'll find it. So there's an idea here agriculturally that, that it could have been as the water was receding, they're putting that seed down and then later on there's going to be a harvest. There is another thought here that Solomon's engaging in international trade. So casting the bread upon the water was sending these ships away. And then after a long period of time, these ships would come back with all these treasures for Solomon. And, and so after many days, uh, there would be a return. What we do know, whether it's agricultural, whether it's capitalism, whatever it is, it's a call to do something. It is a call to work. It is a call to be industrious that's here. And then with what is given that we would be generous that we would give a portion to seven or even to eight now some would see this as jim brown could help us with this 
diversifying your portfolio. Because you don't know what storm's coming, you need to hedge your bets so that, that you, you're spread out, so that you're prepared. There's a storm coming and that you're prepared. That's one lens that's there. But in thinking through that in gospel lens, here's what we're, we're called, because I, I don't know how many of us are farmers. I don't know how many of us are engaging in international trade. Above all, the work that we're called to do is to, to, to take gospel risk and to invest in as many opportunities. Students, you have no idea which other student will be the one or two or three that God may use you in their life by the end of the year. So we take advantage of every gospel opportunity, every gospel conversation, because you don't know what's coming. You don't know where he's going to bear that fruit. Our job is to be responsible. You know what we should do? We should see each person as a candidate for the gospel and feel a burden for each one of them. Have as many conversations as we can, invest in as many ways as we can, and trust him with the result. To some, we're going to be the realm of life. To some, the realm of death. But that's not on us. So we are to sow our seed. It says in verse 6, in the morning to, to sow your seed. The, the greatest seed that we have to sow is the word of God. There's nothing greater that you can speak into the lives of your friends and co-workers and other parents than the word of God. That's why Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another. To my freshman friends, my 14 and 15 year olds, when you have opportunities at lunch and people say, hey, what do you think about this? They don't, they don't need your 14, 15 years of awesome accumulated wisdom. They need the word. They, you, you know what a great answer would be? I don't really know, but I know the word says this about that topic. I know the word says this about that situation. They need the word and, and the way that is. That, that's sowing the seed and we're going to trust the Lord with the harvest of, of his word. And then don't withhold your hand that we would give generously. So having a proper perspective will keep us from being passive and paralyzed and will fuel a productive life of gaining for giving. So we're not to be those who seek to get out of work, but those who seek to get to work. Here, here's who you don't want to be. Verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. You don't want to be the one who does nothing. You don't want to be the one who wastes this year. You don't want to be the one who says, well, if the situation is exactly right, I'm going to jump in right here. Look, the situation is never going to be exactly right in any of these moments, particularly when sharing the gospel. Man, jump in. Don't be paralyzed by, well, I don't know what the outcome's going to be. Who does? God. God alone knows what the outcome's going to be. Our job is obedience, not outcomes. God is over outcomes. We are to be obedient, but don't be those who are like, well, I was going to do it, but I got so busy watching the wind today. You know? Well, I was going to give, but those clouds, man, there was, let me tell you this design. There was a frog, and then over here was like Cubert. It was, it was crazy, you know? And so don't be those that do nothing. Here's what I would want to ask this morning. How many excuses do we make to procrastinate obeying what God has called us to do? And how many of those did we make last week? We're just passive. Are we not taking gospel risks because we're paralyzed by fear of something? It's not rocket science. It's common sense. If nothing is sown, then nothing will be reaped. You want to know why some of you aren't seeing the gospel events and some of your friends? It's because you're not sowing any gospel seeds in their lives. That's rocket science. <laughs> no, right? John Stott said, we sow all day to the flesh and we wonder why we don't reap a harvest of righteousness. I can tell you why some of you are not seeing the gospel move in your coworkers. You're not sowing anything of the gospel in their life. You're not sowing anything in your neighbor's lives of the gospel. And so there's no wonder why there's nothing being 
reaped. Whatever you do, I love what Riken says. I don't know if I put it in your notes or not, but whatever you do, do not use the sovereignty of God or the uncertain difficulties of life as an excuse for not doing anything at all. What you don't want to be the one is when the Jesus returns, you're like, I kept this one talent and I buried it. I didn't lose it. We want to be the one that's faithful with what he entrusts to us to see him multiply those gifts and stewarding opportunities. And then ultimately, any proper prospering is not just for our gain, but for our, our giving. That we would give, and that we would give to seven, eight. There's this generous aspect of it that we would give. And no matter the storm that's coming, say, man, well, there's foolishness that you give so much you've not saved for what's coming. Or there's foolishness in not believing there's a father who cares that we're clothed and are fed each day. And trusting in that promise. Which then gets us to one of the questions I have. If you're going to not waste this life and, and waste your youth, then rejoice in God and the sweet things of life. Look at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. When we think about the end, have you ever, have you ever pondered this just for a moment? That in heaven there will never be a sunrise or a sunset? I was thinking about that when uh, I was walking from practice with the boys the other day from Ballard Park. It was a beautiful sunset. Out, out to the west and it dawned on me you like that? see what I did there? it, it dawned on me uh, that these are things that can only be enjoyed here that sunrise that sunset and, and then his point is that light is sweet it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun and if a person lives many years look, yes decline in death and dust is coming but if you live many years, that's opportunity to live much of life and see the goodness of life and to rejoice in these. So rejoice in the sweet things of life. The, the idea here is enjoy life to the fullest and all the gifts God gives us, friendship, food, and fun. You know, one of my favorite places to be is on the, on the lake and on a boat. I love being out on the lake because I'm thankful for its creation. I love seeing the water. I love seeing the trees. I love seeing the sky. I don't love seeing the fish nipping my feet, but I love being out there. And whether it's skiing or my favorite is when you're just in the boat and you're flying and that wind is, you know, is there. I'll never let go, Jack, but um, you're out and I, I love it. I, I still love being a kid and get to the front of the boat and it's like you're flying over the water and there's joy that comes from that. We gathered the other day around our, our dining room table and, and just had breakfast and no devices. It was just conversation. And I loved, Alistair said, can we do this tomorrow too? Sweet moments of, of life and to enjoy that. And students, there are fun moments in school of parades and games and clubs and traditions that you should enjoy to the fullest. But then use them all too to further your praise and joy in God. Don't stop at just the gift. Move on to the giver. But enjoy the sweetness of life, the things that aren't going to be repeated. Rejoice in every day. If you live many years, rejoice in that. Each day is a gift and more opportunities to, to enjoy moments. I'm, I'm thankful for every moment my children have to visit with Tara's parents and, and my mom and sister. I'm grateful for every... It is chaos to take 10 of us to eat lunch anywhere. It really is. It's a circus, right? If you want, you should go wherever we go because it's dinner and a show. But I love it. It's worth the chaos. It's worth the craziness that's there. These moments, these interchanges and the life that's to be shared together. And then here's the word especially in verse 9. Rejoice, O young men, in your youth. Let your 
heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Solomon's like, hey, do what you want. You'll be judged, right? <laughs> Solomon's dropping the hammer real quick on him. Like, no, you're free to do what you want. You're gonna, you better give account, you know? He's like, watch out. And so it's almost like, man, I was almost there with you. I was almost that joy. And then you crushed it, right? You know? But we all know, right? We all know this. There's no joy in sin. Don't we know that, right? So he's saying, look, there's so much that's not sin that as your heart moves toward, you go for it. And you enjoy life. And we saw in the last text that, that our heart is driving our actions and uh, hopefully driving us toward the things of God and the good gifts that he gives. Enjoy that. But knowing we will give an account to God for everything. We will ultimately... Uh, come under him but his his point here is not restriction as he warns about judgment his point is rejoice i feel too often any of us grew up where it was all about restriction and that's why there was there was not a lot of joy because it was just about legalism and obedience and not delighting in god and delighting in his good gifts and using that all as furtherance of praise so he says do it we will give an account but rejoice, rejoice in him. Then he says, remove worry and all other sins. So he says in verse 10, remove vexation from your heart, put away pain from your body. That's why I stopped running. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So he says, look, eliminate, I, I think I put this there, you know, but eliminate the bad things in life that trouble our bodies and our souls. A vexation is any problem that's, that causes us to worry and concern that angers, grieves, or irritates. Let me say a word to our students. Students, look at me just for a moment, especially you high school students. Listen to me. Do not be vexed. Do not worry about the ACT or your GPA. Do your best and rest. That's all you can do. That is all you can do. And I know there's pressure for scholarships. I feel it. I am sometimes the problem of pressure in my own home for that. Because ACT and GPA, I've been right there. I want to beg you, don't let your heart be vexed. All you can do is your best. And then you rest in those things. You rest in what he's given you. Jesus said, who by worrying can add one more point to their ACT score? That's what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, in a loose translation, right? Teachers, there's opportunity for students and their parents to vex you this year. I know that some of you have never experienced this before, but will you commit to pray for them more than you complain about them? Administrators refuse to be vexed by situations which are totally out of your control. Ask God to help you know where you can do something and where you can only pray. Life is full of opportunities for vexation and pain. I've been using this phrase around our house. I'm totally vexed. I love it because from Gladiator, the, the, uh, Caesar will say, this is vexing. I'm totally vexed. And so sometimes I just quote it for fun. There's lots of opportunities for frustration, perhaps when you're sitting next to someone who smacks their food or crunches their ice. It's vexing, right? And so there are opportunities all around us. And so what he does not mean is, hey, remove vexation. Don't sit with annoying people at lunch, okay? He's not saying that because you could be pretty annoying yourself, all right? So he's not saying, as Paul says, when I said, hey, put these things away, I didn't mean go out of the world. You'd have to go to the moon to get away from this stuff. He says, I'm not saying that. That what I am saying is remove worry and other sins from your life. 
in essence, remove sin and all its killjoys. Nothing kills joy in our life more than sin. Man, nothing kills, nothing causes worry more too than, than uh, not trusting the Lord. And so nothing will keep the gospel from advancing innocent through us this year more than our own pursuit of sin. And this is what I want to beg you. Some of you students and maybe even teachers, you gathered up here. I pray you're not starting this school year with the same sin struggle you started last school year. Because God and the gospel are not that way. He can help us put away these struggles. And could you make it a good gospel goal that we see the Lord grow us in obedience so that should we have next August, we're not starting with whatever sin struggle we're fighting, but we're we're seeing obedience through the Lord's grace and, and equipping. Which gets us to the last R. Remember your creator. Remember your creator. In verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. As you go through each day, do not forget God. Consider him, know him, trust him, obey him. And just know this, as creator, he made you for his glory more than your own. He made you. And in high school, it's tough because we want to make a name for ourselves. Make a name for Jesus. That's what we need to do. At work, we want to make a name for ourselves so we can be promoted and move, make a name for Jesus. Promote Jesus and trust him with all of the other things that are there. I found at LSU that I, I got to be a part of Leadership LSU, which was 25 seniors or all that's chosen at LSU to be a part of this group. And I found that I didn't have to compromise my convictions to be moved in the places that, that God wanted us to be moved. Daniel did not have to compromise his convictions to be moved in the places that God wanted to move him. And so students, it's not about promoting your name. It's about promoting his and and trusting him. And I put a a summary there for you from Philip Ryken. Getting to know our creator before we grow old and die is the most important thing we can ever do. Remember God now while you still have your wits about you. Remember God now while you're still charting your course in life and making important decisions about what to do with your talents. Remember your creator now before you forget the God who made you. And make a lot of bad decisions that you will regret later. And remember God now while you still have a whole lifetime to live for his glory. And I love what Bridges said. Many have remembered too late, but none too soon. None too soon. Parents, I would say above all, it is our responsibility to turn our children's attention and beg for their affections Godward every day. The world is not going to turn them Godward. That's our job. Our job in the middle of practices and homework and preparing for tests is to figure out how can we turn them Godward each and every day. And dads in particular, a responsibility of primary tasking of this is yours. That even on the way to these things, that's what the Shema is about. As you rise, as you go to bed, as you walk along, as you sit at the table, that the things of God will be diligently taught by us, that we're turning their mind and attention Godward, to think on him, to consider him, to live for him, above all, to know and enjoy him. Discipleship should not be just the dissemination of information. If we're not teaching them how to delight in God, we need to be discipled further ourselves. The primary height of discipleship should be teaching how to delight in God. Well, as we're called to remember, we've been blessed. We've been given a picture to remember ourselves. We've got the Lord's Supper here, and we're going to transition to that time. And we will invite you to, those of you who are in Christ, you don't have to be a member of Trace Crossing, but you do have to be 
a Christian, you do have to be someone who's yielded their life to Christ, looked to him for uh, salvation alone and trusted him. Because this table is for those of us who would say Christ is still our only hope. Christ is our life. And we celebrate this the first Sunday of every month because we want to be reminded every month as we begin of God's goodness to us from Christ. And, and as you have the opportunity, when I'm, I want to invite you to get the bread and the juice. And you know why we, we, we often will give you an opportunity to pray over those with your families? Because we want to give you opportunities to lead your family in thanking God for Jesus, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection. So he's given us a means of remembering that. I want to close. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's where I want to close just in, in reading. In 2 Corinthians 4, the, the last part of our text in, in order was the decline in death and dust. But this is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. It's an incredible parallel to our text today. The bottom line is this tent is going to be destroyed one day. Each day it's already declining. But what we come to in this table is the, the hope and the promise that Christ's body was destroyed too. And it was destroyed for us and then raised. He was raised and raised for us so that when the eyes are dimmed and the ears go deaf and the hands tremble, decline and death and dust won't be the last word spoken. You know what will be? Another D. Delivered. Delivered. And all delivered because of his taking our place in the death, most importantly, in the wrath of God for our sin, being our substitute so that we can come and celebrate. So he says, yeah, it's a no-brainer. We live to please him. We live to please him. And I pray that would be true. Let me give you one more word of hope that, that uh, Philip Ryken gave. And we've seen it with Matthew's grandmother. I love what Matthew said at his grandmother's funeral. She had dementia, or was it Alzheimer's? It was Alzheimer's. And as many of you know, uh, you know, when we choose sin, it's either that we have forgotten God, it's certainly that we've not feared God. It seems as if we've not remembered him in that moment. 
But should our bodies even decline through dementia and Alzheimer's to the point that we can no longer remember God, what we come to this table and celebrate, God will never forget us. When you can no longer remember him and praise to him because the songs of the ladies have been brought low, he will remember you even to your deathbed. And as we sing so often, he will hold us fast. Our confidence in the end is not in our remembering him most, but in the demonstration of what he's done for us in Christ, that he will raise us up even when we can't remember our own name. He will. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us not to waste this year or any moment of youth. For those of us who are not in the coffin and we're not in hospice, we're, we're not at the, the very end of these declining stages, then there's still opportunity. And so I pray you would use this word to move us. God, if we've been procrastinating, please move us to obedience. If we've been delaying in any way, presuming upon that we'll have more time to do that, please use this text to remind us that there will come a time when there is no more time. There is no more opportunity. There's no more even desire. We're fatigued and don't want to do it. Father, please use these students, these teachers, these administrators, and these parents, and then all of us who have other jobs outside of that. Would you use us this year more than any other? God, I pray that you would use, that the gospel really would advance in us and through us. It's not, it's not a catchphrase. It's a prayer. It's a begging. Help us to risk much for the gospel and, and for the good of others that we would give generously. God, help us this year more than ever to figure out what it means to take joy in you, to delight in you. Help us to remove the things that are vexing, in particular sins that for whatever reason we keep choosing and pursuing. God, change our desires. Help us to put away what vexes us. And Father, when people are particularly vexing, would you remind us that you could probably be vexed with us? And in the love that you have for us and the patience you have for us, would you grant us to have love and patience for them? If there is worry in our hearts this morning, may your peace replace that. For you reign. And what is uncertain to us is certain to you. And you are good and you can be trusted. And you've demonstrated that. Help us not be those who are paralyzed and do nothing. Help us not be those who squander the strength of our youth in pursuing sin and building our own tiny kingdoms that will be shaken one day and destroyed. Help us not to waste these moments. Help us to remember you. Help us each day that you grant to consider you, to think what's most important to you, and then in, in your power to live for your praise. Please, God, please let Trace Crossing not be those who forget you when we walk out of here. I beg that you would help us to remember. Remember in the moment of temptation to come to you. In the moment of fear to run to you. In the moment of anger and grief to come to you. In the moment of apathy and even in the moments of desensitization to the gospel. That we would come and beg. Break our cold hearts, God. 
May you use the bread and the juice here as an incredible picture this morning to remind us of the sacrifice that you have made for us in Jesus. And it, you count his life, his death, and his resurrection for us. And we say thank you afresh. We hold this bread and we will drink this juice knowing there is no other means of life. There is no other means of reconciliation but what you've done for us in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, our city desperately needs to hear this promise. They need to hear this hope. This week, should you grant us next Sunday, there will be some who, who have moved from decline to death in our city. So there's no time to waste. Many of us have already wasted a lot of time. So help us, God, to steward resources, to steward minutes well. For your glory, for the good of our families, for the good of this faith family, for the good of our city. In Jesus' name we pray. You're invited to come and take the bread and the juice and to go back with your families. And if you don't know what to pray, here's what you simply pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your life and your death. And God, thank you for raising him and granting the hope of the gospel. So you come, take these elements and return and, and pray with your